Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a status update on the federal workforce, and an inside look at the Department of the Navy's IT modernization journey. It's Thursday, April 13th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. There's a new version of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Zero Trust Maturity Model. CISA published the second version of the model Tuesday, which updates implementation guidance for agencies across key pillars, including identity, networks, and data. It also updates key definitions and metrics for the government-wide adoption of Zero Trust security architectures. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration is launching an inquiry into how companies and regulators can ensure artificial intelligence tools are trustworthy and can work without causing harm. The effort is focused on determining how the federal government can effectively regulate the rapidly evolving technology and create what NTIA is calling earned trust in AI systems. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. Defense Tech Week is just around the corner. Hosted by Defense Scoop, Defense Tech Week is the nation's premier week-long festival dedicated to technology's critical role in the future of modern U.S. defense and national security. The lineup includes community-driven events featuring leaders in defense, technology, and academia. It all begins May 8th and is happening across D.C. You'll be able to enjoy plenty of sessions virtually if you can't be there in person. Learn more at defensetechweek.com. Federal employee engagement and satisfaction was slightly down overall across the federal workforce in 2022. That's according to the latest best places to work in the federal government rankings from the Partnership for Public Service and Boston Consulting Group. That's following a four and a half point drop in 2021. Max Steyer is president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service. Max, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for including me. So as I mentioned in the intro, engagement and satisfaction is down by uh, 1.1 points in 2022, and that's a smaller decline in engagement and satisfaction in 2022 than it was in 2021. But what are the overall trends your team saw that are affecting this, and are you surprised to see that number drop again? So uh, I'm not sure I'm surprised, but I'm disappointed. I think it's uh, very, very important, and I think that's probably where I ought to start, that Yeah, this is not about worker happiness. This is ultimately about the performance of our government in a knowledge-based world. Having engaged uh, workforce is the most fundamental ingredient to uh, getting more and better stuff done. So this really, really matters. And I would say it's the only government-wide performance indicator that we actually have. And as you noted, uh, there's a two-year trend, which is down. And that's, that's not good. It's not good for uh, our, our country. It's not good for the American people. They're still getting amazing service from our government. But ultimately, if we want a government that is as high as as high as performing as we need, then we need an engaged workforce. And we're heading in the wrong direction. Curious, you know, did you see through this annual report, was there any sort of impact on return to office that might have played into that engagement and satisfaction? So, um, you know, we have lots and lots of data. uh, And then we have lots and lots of uh, um, insight from from knowledge, and, and I would say that that question is really more on the on the sort of understanding of government side. It, it it's hard to believe that the return to office isn't a, a a very important contributor here. And and again, if you look at the larger labor market, and it's important clearly to situate the federal government in the broader U.S. labor market, um, it's a big issue for everybody. I think in the federal government context, there has been a lot of confusion about what the rules will be. 
uh, and recall that the data was collected summertime of last year. So you had, you know, certainly more uncertainty about that return to office question. You also had, uh, you know, high inflation. Uh, there were a lot of factors that generically are likely to have contributed to the decline. It is worth noting that despite the overall decline, a quarter of the entities and their over 500 that we measure still went up. So one of the things that I think is so so powerful about the data set is it it surely gives you that broader uh, overall average. And then it's the differences within when you pull it apart that tells you that you can still swim against the current, even if it's pretty strong going negative. And that's what a quarter of the, the agencies did. You were on the show last year and you talked about how senior leadership positions were being filled by appointees from President Biden after being vacant or, you know, held by people in acting capacities. And I'm curious, has that had any impact on the results in a continuing fashion? So, yeah, we've done some looking at that question about what happens when you have acting leaders and gaps. And there is a correlation between lower employee engagement. It's, it's intuitive and it's there. Um, I don't know that it's, uh, you know, a dominant um, uh, cause of the challenges that we see. But I think more importantly, in my view, is the short-term nature of most leaders. Even when they're confirmed, the average tenure is slightly more than two years for someone in a Senate-confirmed position. And I think what happens is leaders often don't invest in the kinds of things that are important for long-term health of the culture of an organization because they see themselves as here today and gone tomorrow. And those investments don't usually pay off or they don't think they'll pay off in the tenure that they have in the agency. So I do think that lots of leaders are, are playing the short-term game when building healthy cultures and healthy engaged workforces is a long-term investment. And we need to see more of that long-term thinking for our government to be more successful. Max, you know, the, the Biden administration's president man management agenda placed a focus on federal employee experience. And I'm curious, um, you know, with the results of the best places of work this year, is that sort of in indicative of how the initiative is going under the PMA? So I think you have to have, as a starting point, a recognition that this is important and a desire to prioritize attention to these issues to make to have any chance of success. But that in and of itself is not enough. And I think what you're seeing is well-intended leadership, um, you know, who are uh, bought into the idea that people matter. Um, I don't think they are prioritizing enough uh, the engagement with the federal workforce. And, and the investments that are necessary in the leadership. We didn't talk about one other important uh, cause of challenge here, and that is our federal government's being asked to do a lot of stuff. Some, the regular, crazy, difficult things, and some new, the infrastructure, IRA, on and on and on and on. Uh, and it is overwhelming. Leaders today need to recognize they cannot simply be firefighters to be successful. And I think there's a tendency, especially for the political leadership, to get sucked into the urgency of the of the crisis of the moment and not to create sufficient um, bandwidth and attention paid to that that longer term investment in people and, and capability. Max, as we close out, you know, we've talked about the the drop in engagement. You just mentioned the kind of growth in, in sort of the scope of people's work. Is there anything else, you know, from this year's results that you would draw people's attention to as they they look at the release? So I think one of the more, well, a, a couple of troubling elements that, I, that are worth highlighting, one of which is that in the leadership area, and leadership is the most important driver of employee engagement and it has been for the 
20 plus years we've been doing this, um, there's been a drop in empowerment, a sense that federal employees feel like they have um, adequate uh, control over the 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 inputs of the of the work that they're trying to to get done. And again, I think that's a leadership responsibility to empower uh, the workforce, but that's gives some direction to attention here. The other very troubling number, and it went up slightly, but it's still way, way too low, is the is the is the answer to the question, do you believe the results of this survey will make a difference? And to me, that's the trust question. That's the money question. And and it's at something like 32% overall government-wide. Um, there are some agencies like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission where it's you know uh, high 70s. That tells you that it doesn't have to be at 32%. Uh, you know, and, and I think leaders should hold themselves accountable to building trust with their workforce so that they um, are creating a relationship where their the the workforce believes their voice matters. Um, so and and partly we're talking about where the negatives are. My my advocacy would be look at who's doing well and learn from them. It's possible, and and frankly, building off a of strength often is more powerful than than trying to confront weakness. Well, Max, a lot of good insights. Uh, Want to direct everybody who's listening to to tune into the best places to work uh, as it's released, and um, definitely a great opportunity to see some um, you know places that can be improved. And then, like you said, there's some bright spots across the federal government. But Max, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for shining a spotlight here. Much appreciated. You can learn more about the best places to work rankings at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming up on next Tuesday's episode of the Daily Scoop podcast, the five-year anniversary of the Technology Modernization Fund. Federal Chief Information Officer Claire Martirana and TMF Executive Director Raylene Young join the podcast to discuss milestones the fund has reached, where it's helping support the Biden administration's goals, and where they see TMF headed. That show debuts Tuesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your podcasts. The Department of the Navy is working to translate data into successful outcomes for its IT modernization journey. Justin Finelli is Technical Director of the Navy's Program Executive Office for Digital and Enterprise Services. In this interview with my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash, Finelli explains how his team is delivering those outcomes. It really is the golden age of data. There's, there's more than anyone could have imagined at this point, and that's what we've been waiting for. So our challenge is translating data into outcomes. And for the longest time, we've moved too slowly, and this is our chance to really get after it and turn IT from a cost center into an obvious value provider. We know that we've had beacons of light, but uh, ultimately data right now is helping us to make better decisions faster. And the way that it's doing that is uh, based on context. So as we get really good at that lower bar of the pyramid for the hierarchy of needs, we can spend less time looking, searching, organize, and more time steal on target, focusing on making better decisions. Uh, overall, uh, one thing that we've seen get real traction with us is by organizing from a discipline framework perspective around outcome-driven metrics. And so by using our world-class alignment metrics, we can not only benchmark, but we can focus our data into efforts that translate to better outcomes, better deliverables for our end users. So I'm curious to know as well, how are you approaching the demands for data to move more freely and dynamically across cloud environments? Totally. So uh, the Don's goal on data is to securely move data from anywhere to anywhere, which means it becomes invisible to the user. We just want a friction-free place where 
folks can serve, the reason that they signed up to be in the military, the reason that they signed up for that civil service. We wanna fade into the background. I'm from the school of make IT boring. And so we're doing a decent amount of that right now. Uh, there are three ways. First one is focus on the basics. So make sure that our in-cloud activities work. One of our success stories recently is Operation Flank Speed. And so we're getting that across different devices, across different domains, much more smoothly and friction-free than we were before. And we're hearing from our users. And as we do reps and improve that experience, uh, we're getting traction. We're figuring out ways to build on that data, even on the user-fed side. Two is federate instead of move. So we all know those uh, data and IT tree huggers uh, or box huggers rather. Um, the, uh, they, they want to move things. They want to own data. That doesn't always make sense. There's cost in transit and there's cost in storage. So where we can federate and make sure that things can be in their authoritative sources, but we're getting the goodness from the data, uh, we want to do that. So uh, part of that is based on number three, which is really press our vendor partners for is the value proposition there for one cloud versus another. And so as we look at, um, does it make sense to use two clouds or three clouds for this? We want it to be crystal clear. We're better at our data. They're very good. These vendor partners are very good at telling their data stories. So we want them to show us why the return on investment is there and why it makes sense. The last one in general is we wanna attack those gaps, make sure that if there are risks or seams or technical difficulties that we're piloting against that. We have some really good uh, partner stories on that, especially across threat detection and some exciting things in FinOps. Thank you for outlining those points. Uh, they make a lot of sense. Um, I'd like to ask next, where are you focusing your efforts to protect the security of all that data, uh, especially, again, as it's moving between the various IT systems, both internally and, you know, systems operated by other entities? For 25 years, this has been a trade-off between security and performance. And zero trust is the first time that I personally have seen a win-win come together where we're seeing performance and security both improved by the same sets of solutions. So we've partnered really strong with the DOD CIO, the stand-up of the Zero Trust uh, Portfolio Management Office, and doubled down on if we can be more granular on protecting the data, it opens new doors and doesn't increase risk, it actually lowers risk. So as much as we can double tap with our partners and Operation Flank Speed is just one example, there are several others. We're going down a path of uh, conceptual Sipper 2.0 and some other things. But uh, in general, as we work towards this, uh, we've been really pleasantly surprised with our defensive results uh, as it relates to protecting data, which opens up doors ultimately the productivity is the goal. And if security isn't done well, it will slow down, slow down productivity. By being proactive and investing upfront, we're living in the show me state. We're all in Missouri right now as it relates to data and security and going forward. Well, there's certainly no shortage of challenges in the technology space, but one of them that's intriguing is how rapidly technology is changing. And so I'm curious, how are you trying to strike a balance between achieving economies of scale and preserving flexibility and choice as, as you move forward with IT modernization? 
thousand percent. So we get by with a lot of help from our friends. Um, we, we wouldn't want it to go slower, but we can't do it all. So what we've done uh, within my PEO, and we've shared it with others, and, and there are other adopters, is we've broken it down into four horizons. And we've said, hey, we know that production is king, but what are we doing in terms of horizon two piloting? And what are we doing in terms of horizon three, using our buying power and our influence power to say, here are the things that we really need. Industry has been incredibly responsive to say, hey, uh, if you can point us at a target, we'll put our IRAD, our internal research and development dollars on that. Same with USD R&E, the other side of DOD. If we're doing research to solve a problem and we can transition that to a PEO, we're volunteering to say, if you have something that's ready to solve those, we don't have to buy retail. We can partner with you longer term and solve these. So the answer to your question is transparency is number one. Modern service delivery. So uh, think service-oriented architecture or connecting dots or staying modular and disciplined from day one is number two. And then piloting with friends where they can, and partners where they can do a lot of the risk reduction. And so we're at a pretty high technology readiness level and ready to deploy because we've been looking at the problem for years. Well, lastly, I'm intrigued by some of the things you're saying about working with industry. And I'm curious, how do you view the state of relations between agencies and technology partners these days uh, compared to the past? And, you know, have they gotten stronger and more productive or and what would also help unlock greater value in those relations? Definitely. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> we've definitely seen strides. Uh, we have more people at the table, uh, but I think if we're being uh, if we're really thinking thoughtfully about this, uh, there, there's uh, some people who are performing better than ever, and uh, we have a little bit more data. And so we know that there are some people who um, who have an opportunity to kind of uh, uh, change the way that they're doing it. And if, if feedback sets us free, then we can turn this K-curve uh, into a hockey stick. Uh, so ultimately, uh, where partners have said, hey, let's lead with, uh, here are the answers, here's how we can show and translate what we're doing into a value proposition in our terms, then it's working out. Um, one thing the government can always do better is clarify our needs. And so I, I used to work with, we all have 2000 page requirements document. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, we're doing a lot more agile. Agile is best if it's clearly depicting our vision and how we're measuring success. And so just in recent cases, we've had um, a, we show our five goalposts for here's exactly what we're trying to achieve. And now we have vendors at, at talks and at uh, conferences coming up and saying, here's how we can meet those needs specifically. The best integration is no integration. That doesn't happen very often, but where we can limit those activities and show here's how we get to value in three months instead of three years, stay modular and keep competing. Then, then we're absolutely there. So I'd say what we can do better to unlock some of that value is be clearer and incorporate feedback from our vendors and get that feedback as specific as possible. We're doing that. And where vendors can be responsible, ask tough questions, not just give us canned briefs and make sure that the match is one for one fit and then lean all the way in because we're using player coaches to go further faster and we need it more than ever right now based on what's happening in the world. 
It's encouraging to hear, and that's some great advice as well. So, well, Justin Finelli, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to share your insights on um, just the, tackling the challenges of uh, ever-growing uh, data demands in the federal government and particularly at the Department of Navy. So thank you for joining us. You can learn more about the Navy's IT modernization goals at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Tuesday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.